So this morning we're going to continue our study in First uh, uh, Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen through uh, chapter six, verse two, and I'll just uh, give you a couple pointers, a uh, couple heads up things as we get going. Uh, the uh, the teaching we're going to take a couple of verses at a time. Paul is dealing with um, how to do church life, and so. He's going to hit a lot of different topics. Therefore, I'm going to hit a lot of different topics because I'm following along with Paul verse by verse. And um, some of these topics could use some additional development. And um, and we've we've handled some topics like on conflict. We've handled it before, so you might need to just check out our website and um, pick up a little bit um, specific teachings that will supplement this. But anyway, we're going to follow right along with the Apostle Paul, and I'm sure it's going to raise a few questions. So we'll have some some time at the end where I'll take a few questions and just interact with you about the material. First service was awesome as far as the interaction and questions that people brought to the teaching. And so if we go through and hit one of these little topics and there'll, there'll be quite a few of them, then if you have a question, we'll, we'll try to um, deal with those uh, at the end. And so one of my objectives uh, here this morning is to cross the bridge from uh, the Apostle Paul instructing Pastor Timothy, who's pastoring in Ephesus. One of my goals here is to cross that bridge from, from Paul's day to how do we do, how do we integrate these scriptures, these truths within the context of our own church. And so uh, it just gives me a chance to flesh out a little bit how, how we do uh, church ministry, how we do philosophy of ministry, applying the scriptures to our own church. So if you have a question like, how do you do business like this, then we'll certainly uh, give a go at it. How's that sound? And so as we're looking, as we're working through, if you've got a question, just write it down and... Um, and we'll have some time. So let's pray, and then we're going to work through it a verse or two at a time. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we have a joy in our hearts uh, for you. Uh, Lord, you are, you are good. Uh, you are compassionate. Your love never ends uh, towards those that call upon your name. And Lord, you've given us Jesus and your word, and we're just... Um, we're just so grateful uh, this morning. And so as we look at how do we do church life, um, what does that look like in some practical ways, I pray, Lord, that you'd encourage us as a body um, uh, to let Jesus be the head, but follow, follow after you as we love one another. In Christ's name, amen. And so let's look at verse 17 and 18 together this morning. Paul writes to Timothy, who's the overseer, who is uh, providing supervision uh, to the church at Ephesus. And Paul writes this. He said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. And so the first thing we want to note and call our attention to is that elder is not used in a generic sense. It's not used in the sense of, of an older man 
in the congregation that Paul is addressed in, in, in previous verses in 1 Timothy. It's really used in a narrow technical sense to refer to the, the man who provides uh, the teaching and the supervision, presides over uh, the church, directs the affairs of the church. And, and he's going to develop a lot of, um, say, um, instructions to Timothy about, about that office in our text, about being careful about laying on hands, being careful about uh, releasing people too early. But in this case, he uses the same phrase that he uses with widows, this phrase about double honor. Now, uh, some pastors, I think, in our day, think that means two paychecks. Uh, I've never been quite able to pull that off here, but I just want you to know that I'm open to it, uh, and I'm willing to, to give it a shot, you know, just to see how I manage that. But it just means, it just means this. It just means adequate provision. And so senior pastors of churches uh, in our day, or el- to use it in the technical sense, of an elder, it's used, um, it's used to describe the senior pastor of the church. And in all Calvary chapels, it's used, it's used in that sense, the application. And in most independent Baptist churches, it's used in that sense. And so you have a, um, a senior pastor who, who oversees or provides supervision to the church in conjunction with a group of other men. Uh, and usually they're the term for them is in the broader sense, elders are in a lot of Baptist churches. Uh, they're called the, the deacons. And so Paul says to, to Timothy that if a man, the man who exercises supervision or rule, does it well in the sense of hard, week, uh, hard work and preaching, he should have ample provision. And, and I've been here for 33 years, and the church has just done a tremendous job at allowing me to live uh, in the middle in the middle section of our economic uh, status as a church. You've done a tremendous job. When I planted the church, I was a full-time assistant pastor at Melrose, left that job, took a secular job, worked that secular job for, oh, probably about uh, eight or nine months, and um, this guy, Jack Matthews, he was a burly ex-cop and uh if you can have a stereotypical image of a burly irish cop that's jack matthews and one sunday morning uh, we were you know i was preaching and jack raised his hand i immediately did what stopped talking and Jack says, you know, if there's anything that we can do for this church, we need to set this young man free so he can pastor us. And what do you think everybody did? Yes, Jack. And two weeks later, I gave my notice. And, and the church has been so gracious uh, for, for over 30 years to provide this adequate double honor. And for that, I'm really grateful. And so Paul is saying to uh, this young pastor, make sure you take care of those who are laboring in the word and, and do it in a, in a way that provides adequate uh, provision. Second set of verses that Paul uses is uh, he's going to strike a balance between 
um, uh, protecting the pastor from false accusation, but also protecting the church from pastors, senior pastors that go off the rails and get into sin. Look at the next two verses with me, verses 19 and 20. It says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As far as those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And so pastors by necessity provide supervision to a church. And one of the most difficult aspects of providing supervision to a church is that from time to time you have to say what? No. You have to say, no, you can't do that. And, and my longevity here over 30 years has taught me that you best say yes more often than you say no. <laughs> because when, if, you, if you go around saying no to people all the time, it's, you're probably missing it to a great deal. And so, Paul, so because pastors have to exercise supervision, they often become the, the target of uh, little coalitions that, that try to take the pastor down through either uh, inflating things that happen uh, or actually uh, uh, creating a conflict with, with the hope to see that pastor uh, either resign out of distress or fired by the board. And so Paul comes alongside and he says, look, don't take, don't consider these accusations unless they're really well-founded. Think the best about the pastor. But he also knows that pastors are human, and, and I've certainly experienced this for guys that I've worked with over, over the years previous to being a senior pastor, is that pastors do fall into sin, and they do need to be held accountable. And Paul provides a remedy for that. He says if it's a two or three witnesses, then you need to exercise discipline by rebuking that pastor. And when we consider the context here, it's rebuking him amongst the elders within that sphere of influence that that, that, that pastor has. Now, having said that, over the last 30 years, as a, as a pastor here at, uh, in Chelmsford, I've probably experienced this two or three times, which isn't a lot um, compared to some of my peers who experience it on an annual basis. And the annual basis, every time the annual meeting comes up, then he's the target. And if you've been in a church like that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but, you know, I've not experienced that that much, but when it's happened, it's tumultuous, you know. But uh, the supporting elders that we have here have always done a great job in navigating this. So let me say this, that if you have a problem uh, with, with me and you feel that I've done wrong, and it, sometimes you can come to me directly, but there's time to time where you might feel uncomfortable with that. And so you could, you could go visit Rob Carell. Could you just stand up? Rob's the lead elder here. You could go talk to Rob and say, you know, hey, this is going on, and, and, um, and uh, what do you think of that, and can you help me navigate that? And Rob will do a great job helping you. And so in very practical ways, pastors provide supervision to churches, and sometimes they have to say no to people, and when they say no to people, people get upset. And so um, maybe one last thing. Uh, it's always best to go 
face-to-face with a person that you have a problem with. And we've talked about this in the past as conflict. You know, think the best about the person. Uh, pastors don't, don't um, um, you know, come to that position out of anything less than want us, wanting and desiring to serve God and to love people. And so think the best about the person and go to them and see if you can't work it out first. And if you can't do that, at least in the context here, then you have other recourses, such as going to Rob Carell and having a chat with him and see if you can't work it out. So if you've got a question about this, we're going to have a little Q&A afterwards, and we'll be glad to talk about it. So Paul now brings, and look at the next verse, verse 21, Paul invokes a formal charge that the church belongs not to the pastor or elders, but who does the church really belong to? The church belongs to Jesus. And we should never, ever forget that that the church belongs to Jesus and and the Lord has given us his word to to lead and guide us. And so so keep that, he's saying to Timothy now, directing at him, he says, keep this in mind, that you're only an under-shepherd. And 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, deals with this marvelously and uses that same language that that you are an under-shepherd. So do do your diligence, work hard, so that when the chief shepherd appears, he's going to say what to you? Well done. Take a look at the verses with me. Verse uh, verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. And so Christ is the head of the church, and there's no room, there's no room for a pastor or an elder, or a deacon, or a church leader, whatever, whatever, however you want to uh, attach a name to it, a title, there's no room for partiality. There's no, there's no room for it. God's given us his word, and we should remain faithful to the word of God, and faithful for keeping Christ at the center of the church. Our job is to do nothing more or nothing less than to than to glorify Christ in the midst of our assembly. It's nice that we have a place to meet in. It's nice that we have some good programs. It's nice that we, you know, have some outreaches. But Jesus is, Jesus is the reason we exist, to exalt him and, and to exalt his headship. And now Paul transitions back to dealing with leadership issues in verse 22. He says, do not be hasty, in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. And we can link this in with verse 24 and 25. The sins of some, some men are fully, fully in the open, and they go before him, and then the sins of others are hidden, and they'll come out later. So that's what he says. Some men's problems are hidden, but they'll come out. Some come out sooner. Some come out later. So don't be hasty and laying on of hands. In other words, in the key text here, and then we'll apply it to our church, how do we do this, is in Luke 6, 43 through 45, which is, which is let the tree bear its what? Fruit. And then you judge the fruit. And so part of pastoral ministry, which is difficult and complex, is making assessments about leaders that are coming up and making assessments about leaders that are in your midst. 
And if you look at the so what, now what section of your notes, you're going to find a challenge there to think about that. How do we reconcile the, the scriptures that say, like in Matthew, I think it's 7, 1, do not judge with Paul's admonition to judge. How do you reconcile those two? Well, I have to live in that place of making assessments and judgments about emerging leaders. And Paul says this, take a good look at the fruit and don't be hasty of releasing people. And the, 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 uh, the technical word that he's applying here is laying on of hands in respect to ordination. He says, do not be hasty about going there. So let's apply this to the life of our church. How do we do this? Well, a good example is John Peeler up in Manchester. John was a home fellowship group leader here, and uh, we had a great need up at Manchester. And so I went to John and Linda and said, we have a great need up in Manchester. Would you consider going up there and pastoring the people up there? And John said what? Yes, we will. And so John and Linda go up to Manchester. Well, he needed some credentials, but he had never he had he had never pastored a group of people before. And so our bylaws allow us to give someone a license to minister, which is renewable, good for one year, but we can withdraw it. So we we have renewed John's license to minister year after year as he's been up in Manchester, and it appears that, that uh, he's done an awesome job pastoring, but he's not called to full-time vocational ministry, so we're not going to ordain him. Now, there's a transition happening up there. Jared and Donna are going to provide pastoral care to the church at Manchester. What do you think we're going to do to them? We're going to license them or ordain them? We're going to license them because it gives us a chance to look at the fruit without ordaining someone and give them a, a lifelong uh, certificate of ordination. Would we like to ordain people here? Yes, we would. Have we ever ordained someone in 33 years here? No, we haven't. So I'm very, like, these verses are very important to me. And in many, many other places, Calvary chapels, independent Baptist churches, a guy says, oh, I feel called to ministry, does a few Bible studies, boom, they're ordained. Do I think that's biblical? No, I don't. And so we've been very cautious about who we ordain. Do I think we're going to ordain people in the future? Yes, I want to. Have we in the past? No, we've not. Will we license to minister people in the future? Yes, we will. Have we done it in the past? Yes, and it's worked out perfectly for us because we've been able to observe the fruit and and remain faithful to God's word about not being hasty and laying on of hands. Now let's deal with two other little, say, sections here that we've not covered, and then we'll, we'll do a, a little bit of a Q&A and, um, and then close our service with the Lord's table. In verse 23, very important uh, insight uh, that Paul brings to us, he says to Timothy, he says, look, I don't want you to keep on drinking the water. 
Because the water, the water, my, my New England accent is coming through, the water, the, the water by the car, by the park, um, by the pond. Um, anyway, I'll get back to the text here. He says, I don't want you to keep on drinking water because it has bacteria in it, and the bacteria is upsetting your stomach. So add some wine that has alcohol in it so it kills the bacteria so you won't continue to have your stomach ailments. Now, makes complete sense, doesn't it? But what's the deeper issue here? The deeper issue here is is that Paul didn't have divine healing at the push of a button. He could only do what God was doing. And God, at this particular time, wanted to use ordinary means to correct Timothy's problem. You with me so far? And that's happened before in Timothy's ministry. Like if you look at 2 Timothy 4.20 and Philippians 2.27, Trophimus had to be left at Miletus because he was what? He was ill. Paul did not have, like, the divine healing, like, medallion, you know. He could only do what the Father was doing at the time. And that's the balance that we bring to ministry when we care for those that are ill, is that we want to continue to pray for people, but we recognize what? We recognize that God is sovereign, and God does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. God's heart is that we're all we would all be whole, we would all be complete, we would all be totally healed, and at some point in time, when we go to be with him, that's going to happen. We should not be discouraged for uh, praying for people. We should not be slow in praying for people, but we should recognize that God is in control and he is sovereign. How's that? One last thing. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. There, and, and then he goes on, these are the things you are to teach and urge. And that's exactly what I'm doing this morning. And that's the value of verse-by-verse Bible teaching, is that you get to impart to the congregation those things within the same measure that the Holy Spirit is given, you get to impart to a congregation within the same measure, with the same intensity, those things that God has designed to glorify Christ and to build up his church. And so when we look at slavery, slavery was part of the economic system of the day. And, but the full respect, the same standard of full respect is due to employers today. A good analogy to biblical times is if you served in the military, your life is not your own. <laughs> You are born, and you, and even though you may get sent to where you don't want to go, you're still required to give full respect. My stepson, Daniel, is is due to be sent off on a on a little Coast Guard trip uh, for a month or so in September. But he has a little baby, and he can't go to his commanding officer. But I have a little baby and a wife. And I go, yeah, pet you. Nice job now. Get on board. Get busy because your life is not your own. And so you can pray with us that God sets him free from that and gets to come home to mama with our grandchild. So full respect is to be given to 
the employer, and especially in this economic system, so that the name of Christian, uh, the name of Christ, and and the gospel would not be diminished in the same as today. And so Paul gives some very, very excellent, uh, say, instructions to Pastor Timothy in, in working out the nuts and bolts of, of provision, conflict, leadership, and, and directing the affairs of the church so that Christ uh, remains at the center of the church. I want to encourage you, uh, to give some consideration to the so what, now what this week. I, I think the, the little challenge uh, is a good one because so often um, in the past when I've, when I've done a little teaching like this, someone will come up to me or even say from their seat, but I thought we were not to judge. I thought we were not to judge. And I would just use a synonym that we're not to judge inappropriately we're to make godly assessments and i think the word assessments um is a little bit more palatable palatable to us and i would encourage you to give that some study so amen so we work through our text and so if you have a question about the text uh we had some great ones uh at first service and and if uh, if you are rather dull today, I'll interject some of those questions. But yes, just stand up, tell us who you are, and and hi, Ann. Double honor. Okay, uh, double honor. Does that does that pertain to title and office? Can a pastor be an elder? All. Senior pastors are elders. Not all elders are senior pastors. So, so all pastors are, are elders, but not all church elders are senior pastors. So the double honor or ample provision, which is what Paul's saying, applies to those who labor and teach the word of God and provide supervision to a church. All elders do that in some part, but not in the entirety. And when we, when we try to get over the hermeneutical bridge between Bible times and our time, we, we're just saying that in Calvary chapels and in most independent Baptist churches, that role is called the senior pastor role. Good question. Someone else? Oh. Sure. So Toby's question is, can we apply the principle of not uh, making a charge, if I could expand that a little bit, uh, of, of guiding our assessments about things or people? Can we take the two or three witnesses and apply it to our everyday lives? Would that be fair? Okay. So yes. And um, so often, um, you know, in our, in our media, um, you know, you look at the media streams that come out even this week, you know, someone will say something, but it has no basis of reality. 
And so it's always best, um, it's always best to wait and do some research and gather uh, the facts together. Someone look up a scripture for me. Where is it in Proverbs does it say that the first person that speaks is likely not the truth, but the, uh, that a second comes along and gives the truth? Does anybody, anybody want to look that up for me while we, while we talk? You know what I'm talking about? You know, the first witness is not true. Second witness comes along. Yeah, I'll, I'll get it for you. But, but the first person that speaks uh, frequently is not telling the whole truth. Yeah, go ahead, Lauren. Could you stand and read it? Proverbs eighteen seventeen. Thanks for the assist. Use the ESV, and then, and then you can use the one you like. Proverbs 18, 18 Proverbs 18, 17. And so, so often in life, you know, the, the person that's first doing the blabbing, right? They're making their case and you're saying, oh, that's right. And then you wait and then someone else comes along that has taken the time to gather all the facts. And that happens a lot in life and it happens a lot in church life. So, good question. Yeah. Oh, the heretic. <laughs> My question is if Paul is writing to Timothy and Timothy being in Ephesus and Timothy is not John Mark, how are the elders then telling the rest of Asia Water and clearly within Timothy that John Mark needs to be here Yeah, so Timothy's operating in that geographical area and so a little church history. Um uh, after the apostolic era, after maybe about 100 AD, they moved to a, a mono-episcopal leadership structure where you had a bishop that was over a whole region, and that bishop would be responsible for for uh, selecting those, what I'm going to use our language, senior pastors over those churches. And so what Paul is just saying is that if you have that person who's exercising, teaching in the word, and providing supervision to to a, a group of uh, a group, usually what a region, usually it was home fellowship groups. That's our language, uh, house churches. The the senior pastor, uh, that person is worthy of of adequate compensation, which is a better way to describe it than double. Double honor. Good question. Someone else? Yeah. What was that? What was that verse again, Lauren? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. Go ahead. Sure. Well, um, here, what we, what we like to see is uh, lay leaders emerge out of an existing ministry. And so the person becomes naturally vetted through that proce- process and naturally assimilates and reflects our philosophy of ministry, of way of doing ministry. Our philosophy of ministry, the way we do ministry here, is not better or more righter than, say, another church, but it is the way we operate. 
And so what we like to see is an emerging leader come out of an existing ministry so that we can observe and see the fruit. And so they naturally, uh, they naturally, naturally reflect who we are and, and where we're going rather than bringing uh, someone from the outside in. What we really try to do is find someone that's already on the inside that is, that is emerging. And, and 95% of our leadership has come from within the church first. Even those that, you know, like Josh has served as an assistant pastor in two other Calvary chapels, Calvary Chapel Williamsburg, Calvary Chapel Newport News. But it's been, have you been here three years? Two. Two years before um, he, came, he was allowed to come and teach on a Sunday morning. Two, two years and only after doing a home fellowship group for a season of time. So, so even those that have credentials and standing outside of us, we try to be patient and, and let them emerge from within an existing leadership structure. That's how we do it. Anyone else? Yeah. What's your name? Stacy? Oh, Tracy. Just teasing. Great question. So same question came up first service, so good job. Uh, so laying on of hands is, is, is uh, a biblical practice, and you can lay on hands for, for people to be healed, right? You can lay on hands for people to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You can lay on hands for people for ordination. You can lay on hands for, uh, you know, bring, and this is a little bit of a stretch, but when we dedicate children, Jesus bringing the children to him and laying his hands on. So laying on hands is, uh, is, is just a biblical practice uh, to communicate uh, uh, love and affection and God's presence uh, in, the pers- in that immediate uh, situation. So there's a lot of different ways laying on of hands is used in a biblical sense, not just exclusively for ordination. It is, yeah, in this particular case, it's used for the, the, the ordination of, of someone, sending someone, uh, recognizing someone as a senior pastor of a church. That's our language. Yeah. yeah. Who are you, though? Tracy? Are you Stacy or Tracy? I didn't know that. <laughs> Correct. Correct. That's thank you for that clarification, Stacy Tracy. Um, so we want to be very slow in releasing leadership, and we have been as a church, and it has saved us time and time again. Saved us a year, a year and a half ago. There was a, a great amount of pressure to install someone as an elder, and I said, no, hasn't been here long enough. And it, it really did help uh, save us as a church. So we want to be slow and laying on hands until we really see the fruit 
that's brought forth from the person's ministry. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, someone is um, effective in ministry or they have uh, natural charismatic type gifts. It's, there's a lot of pressure to recognize that person and give the person standing within the church. But, but we've never done it, and I think it's the right thing to do. Even in my own development as a pastor, it was, it was serve the church, licensing for a few years, and then ordination. And I think that's really keeps pride out of it, uh, keeps you humble, keeps you accountable. I think it's the right thing to do. You know, just think it's wisdom. All right, Rob's got the last one. Go ahead, Rob. Right. And it's hard to say from people I know that, to my knowledge, I've been Christian fifteen or whatever yeah. time, but there has never been that none of those accusations have ever proven to be uh, grievous sin, uh, things that we went away from, uh, or false mm-hmm. or greater accusations. Uh, and secondly, uh, I mentioned that. That's fair. Just for the people that are listening online, Rob Carell shared that that there's a process here, there's safety here. The two or three things that have come along over the last 30 years have not resulted in uh, the pastor being disciplined, uh, but handled whatever the issue was was handled appropriately. Right. And and I'm not beyond being uh, disciplined or corrected. You know, I'm not. And uh, we all. No, no man, no woman is perfect, and I do make mistakes from time to time, and I, I do have to um, uh, say I'm sorry. I do have to apologize. I do have to repent, uh, and that's just part of being a person that's growing in Christ-like and is a, and is the natural state of someone that's being sanctified. Uh, and uh, Nancy's found that out. She thought I was perfect. Now she knows I am. In Christ. 
So we're going to celebrate the Lord's table this morning, and um, I really love and appreciate each one of you. Um, we uh, have a wonderful uh, uh, local church with mature and godly leadership, which brings much, much joy uh, to my heart. So uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. If you're going to pray for people, if you could come on up now. And we just want to give you a minute to reflect, um, uh, give you a minute to go before the Lord. And certainly if there's if something in your heart that's not quite right, uh, you know, just go bring that before the Lord or let someone pray for you first and then receive the Lord's table. But my encouragement to you this morning is, is there's grace here. God's here. And, and use this time um, to let him draw you. Uh, to a place where you can experience his presence in your life. Amen? So take a minute, and then we'll break bread together.